Just before we get into today's episode, I want to cast your ears over here to this promo for a few minutes and explain why you might be missing out if you're not using Adobe Express. You've heard of Adobe, right? The chaps that brought you Illustrator, InDesign, and who hasn't been asked, has this been photoshopped? Adobe is a household name. But have you heard of Adobe Express? I hadn't until the back end of last year, and then, well, I did. Now, I'm not saying that in a few years' time, people will be asking you, where were you when you discovered Adobe Express? But they may ask why you didn't start using it sooner. Using Adobe Express allows endless opportunities to scale up your creatives and improve your efficiency and productivity, as well as anything I've seen or used. Creating and editing all your creative output with more customizable templates than a Rubik's Cube has variations. Well, all right, maybe not 43 quadrillion, but you get the idea. And that is just your basics. Real-time collaboration speeds up changes, amends, and creativity sessions with a brand library that holds all your brand assets in one place, making the continuity for designs a breeze. If you don't want to miss out on any of this, use one of the links in the show notes that will take you to a free trial of Adobe Express. Or why not supersize it and trial the complete Adobe Creative Cloud package, which includes Adobe Express, as you'd imagine. Oh yeah, bonus point. If you're already a Creative Cloud user, Adobe Express is right there waiting for you. Now let's do it. It's not the technology that's the problem. It's the management of that technology throughout and getting the right people doing the right things at, at, at each point and making and not being over ambitious, recognizing that, you know, that, that, it, that these things are going to last for a long time. So we have to be more, more cautious about how we start doing it. And then we can start to look at the productivity gains within this new sphere of working, which mm. we can gradually absorb. Welcome to Construction Disrupted, the ultimate podcast for the construction industry, exploring the limitless possibilities at the dynamic intersection of construction and technology. Wow, that's a mouthful. Delve into the latest topics, news, events, expert insights, and marketing that are shaping the industry right now and in the future. We'll hopefully sprinkle a little bit of humor in there for you as well. I'm your guide, Peter Sumpton, and I run a construction technology marketing agency, Build Different. If you're ready to embrace disruption and unlock the potential of the construction industry, keep on listening and be part of the conversation that's reshaping the future of construction. If you're not, uh, I really wouldn't bother. It's, it's probably not going to be that interesting for you. Whether you're a construction technology professional or just part of the construction industry in general. This podcast is your go-to resource for staying informed, inspired, and of course, connected. Speaking of connected, the best way you can help to support this podcast is by sharing it far and wide and leaving us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. Right then, let's go and build different and get disruptive. Inefficiencies within the construction industry can be easily spotted at the output stage on site. A recent study by Build Dots outlined four such inefficiencies, 
One of those were the areas of a project that were worked on per week, which was only 46% of the total that could be. The weekly output from on-site trades can vary by over 50%. We're making too many return visits to incomplete work and work is being delivered out of sequence, causing issues later down the line. That's all interesting stuff, with the conclusion being that collaborative working practices, as well as technology, can resolve these ills. But what about the more holistic view of productivity in the industry? Improving productivity on site is one thing, but making a whole industry more efficient is another. And although improvements would benefit everyone, competition and the requirements of companies to grow may stifle this approach. Even the ONS state, data on the expenditure, skills and capital of the construction industry are all suggestive of productivity growth in recent years. Yet our productivity estimates show little, if any, productivity growth in construction in recent decades. So where do we go from here? What is true productivity? How are we defining it? Is technology the catalyst of a more productive, efficient and collaborative industry as a whole? Or are we just looking at the data wrong? I caught up with Brian Green from Brickonomics to unravel this productivity conundrum. Brian has been a journalist, commentator and researcher focusing on construction for more than 30 years. He writes and produces reports and consults across a wide range of industry topics for both commercial and non-commercial organisations, including Barber ABI, Reba Journal, CIOB, Bayes and the ONS. Brian, welcome. Hi, hello. That was a brief intro to yourself. Have I missed anything? Um, not really. I, 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 I basically float around the industry a bit, um, writing about stuff and analysing stuff and producing outputs accordingly. Floating around the industry. I think you do a little bit more than that, but uh, we'll go with floating. What we're talking about today is, is productivity, which... It seems a, a bit of a, a, a bizarre one because, you know, the, the, the more you put in, the more you get out, so to speak, and that's it over. Uh, but th there's one one place I want to start, and, and in doing a bit of research into this, I read something uh, that the ONS published recently, and it kind of got me scratching my head. So I'm going to start with a question, but I just want to read this to you, first of all. So they said, output per hour worked was 1.6% above pre-pandemic levels and then they went on to say driven by a fall in the number of hours worked 1.2 percent uh, with output only marginally increasing by 0.3 percent <laughs> so I'm, I'm already gone um with, with what they're trying to say but the question that i want to start with is why isn't productivity as simple as more output faster um <laughs> depends what you mean by productivity again but if, okay. you, if you do if, you, if you're looking at say the numbers what you're looking at the numbers the ons numbers they're looking at aggregate data and within that aggregate data there are obviously errors one way or another but more importantly within construction there's a massive mix of different things that go on each have their own individual if you like productivity rate and it's mm. the aggregate of that so for instance if you're doing if you're doing civil engineering work that will tend to increase the productivity of construction overall. If you're doing a lot of, say, repair and maintenance work, perhaps that may reduce the 
um, level of productivity, depending on which measure you're using. And to, I mean, the, the point about productivity is it's about input and output, and it depends what you're talking about, the inputs and outputs are. If you're just looking at it, say, from a um, person per hour perspective, obviously the more technology that you use with that, like machinery, et cetera, you might get a better output on that measure. So for instance, that's why to some extent, that to some extent explains why um, you've got uh, greater out, uh, greater productivity within um, the civil engineering sector than you might have within housing repair and maintenance because you're using bigger bits of kit, et cetera, et cetera. So um, you've got to be a bit cautious with those measures. Put it this way, if you go to, if, if you were to look at the similar kinds of data in the US, uh, they've pretty much given up on measuring construction productivity because it has been declining ever since the 60s. To any normal human being, that seems a bit weird given mm. the increase in the kinds of things we do. Because what you're trying to do, when you're measuring construction output, you're measuring a value. And that value is, you know, how much somebody's prepared to pay for your um, your work. Uh, so it's, it's a gross value added, should I say, which is a, a combination of profit, wages, etc. It's quite complicated. And I think that people get over fixated with productivity measures in that sense, mm. rather than actually looking at productivity overall. They're not meaningless, but it's easy to attribute the wrong meaning to it. Yeah, I always I always go by with the look with your eyes kind of scenario if if it gets a bit too complex. And if you go around cities and you, you count the number of cranes, that's usually a good a good marker for how vibrant construction is um, at the moment. I know that's really flippant and, and very easy, um, but it does give you a, a little bit of a marker to see what's going on in, in, but, in the UK. But again, I think you have to look at what the outputs are. And as I say, the outputs are, that's partly profitability. That's partly mm. how much, how much wages people earn. So technically speaking, if you increase the wages of individuals working in construction, you would, most likely uh increase the productivity because basically there would be more value added because people right. are charging more for the labor therefore they're valuing the labor more therefore there would be higher productivity <laughs> um and and these 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 are real challenges in terms of actually measuring what you want to measure and by me by taking meaning from a particular given measure it doesn't mean to say that they have no meaning it's just they don't necessarily have the meaning you think they have yeah if, if we look at national productivity or, or, or the contribution mm. that construction has to national productivity, you know, it's, it's always said it's a good construction a good barometer to how how well we're, we're doing as, as a country. Mm. If we maximize productivity within an industry, construction, does that mean it's increased national productivity and, and we're, we're on our way up? Well, it's, I mean, clearly, statistically, it, it helps the figures. But actually, the point, that, the more important thing about construction is that it is a facilitator for other industries. So if we build the right kind of things that help other industries be more productive, then we're contributing to product, we're contributing to the national productivity mm. in that kind of way, as opposed to simply trying to contain it within the silo of construction. So if we were, so for instance, if we just sought to pursue the productivity, get raising the productivity of construction as our sole aim, we may well find ourselves doing the wrong things for the wider economy. So it's about, it's about looking at it in a broader sense. It's that 
not having a siloed thinking that you know mm. a lot of companies recognize you know you maximize one thing not by maximizing each of the individual things but getting the right balance across all of the various strands of inputs that are that make up the economy or in, in the case of the business their um their output and, and i think we all know that the the industry is is hugely fragmented and you know, you're comparing um, apples with with pears most of the time, dependent on what sector of construction you're you're looking at. Is it even possible to evaluate productivity in in certain points because it's always fluctuating, it's always changing, there's always different components to a project, let alone on a national scale. So, can we ever say that this at this point it's been less or more productive? Um, I suppose so. I mean, it, as I say, it depends what you're measuring. It depends what mm. you're calling productive. Um, it, it is, product, productivity isn't necessarily the same as usefulness. It's just a measure. And I mean, technically, it's the gross value added over the decided input, which is frequently put down as hours worked. Um, the other thing that people have to recognise about construction as well is that the, the construction bit that we're measuring isn't overall construction. Now, here's... Mm. Here's a, here's a conundrum, a, a statistical conundrum, I suppose, that I think can illustrate the point. If we're looking, a lot of people talk about offsite manufacturing. Um, now, it is quite possible that offsite manufacturing would increase the productivity of creating that piece of built environment. But what you could find is that the work done in the higher value productive end of it i.e say the factory work go ends up going into the manufacturing sector and away from the construction sector so what you could find is because productivity is so much higher in manufacturing but by going down a route of off-site increasing off-site manufacturing you end up shifting stuff into the manufacturing sector and lowering its productivity while taking stuff out of construction that is relatively high productivity and reducing mm. the productivity of the construction sector. So you could have a situation where you're reducing the productivity of both the manufacturing and the construction sector while overall doing something that is more productive. So I think you have to be a bit careful. I mean, it's a, for those that are statistically minded, I think that comes into the category of Simpson's paradox. What we've spoken about so far has been quite statistical, yeah. Um, numbers based, although we haven't dived into the numbers and yeah. I, I really, really don't want to. Is there an argument that we should be more mindful of simply building the right things? I think we have to take a slightly more. I think my point is we have to take a slightly more holistic view of productivity across the piece rather than, as I say, in silos and not actually necessarily understanding what those silos are. So I think so if, if the aim of the construction is to produce things which say bits of infrastructure, et cetera, which raise the productivity of um, the rest of the economy generally, then that's a good thing. So even if we're, even if we're not necessarily being hugely productive in delivering those, those um, elements of the infrastructure, if they are producing productivity elsewhere, that's a good thing. We have to look at, we have to look at productivity across the piece. We can quite easily change productivity just doing less less productive stuff and more more productive stuff but that doesn't give you a balanced economy you mentioned off-site 
previously um, mm. and and I'll come on to that in in a little bit because it's 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 an interesting one um with what's been going on mm. um with the likes of uh, Ilka Holmes and, and and stuff like that recently but I want to take you back 9 years and and there was an NBS article that was released in 2014 and it said the tools available to the construction industry are undergoing rapid change and these will be instrumental in creating productivity gains now that was 9 years ago mm-hmm. um have we seen those those that tech come through and that productivity gains, or are we still looking for those? And is it still developing, or is it ongoing? I suggest I suggest I suggest a lot of things are more productive. It's just that it doesn't necessarily, as we were trying to explain, doesn't necessarily fit into fall into the numbers that we see. Mm. I mean, I think that I mean, I just look at I look at things, and I just I just look at a simple thing like you know power tools. Uh, you know, people, I just watch people doing things. And I've been watching people doing things since I was a child, as far as construction is concerned. And they do things so much more productively, so much quicker, so much more effectively, so much more efficiently than mm. they had in the past. Now, these things don't necessarily get m- measured in the numbers because we, for all the reasons I've tried to explain, which are unfortunately a bit complicated. Um, but I think I think we are we do see these things. They just don't necessarily turn up in the numbers in the way we expect. They might they might turn up in better quality. Um, they might turn up in uh, lower cost, which means that the, the the profitability of of the construction sector doesn't increase much. Mm. Therefore, it's not it, its value added isn't as big as it might otherwise be. Um, so it's all of those kinds of factors. So I think that I think a lot of these things do raise productivity, but people then expect it to start showing through in the numbers and they don't necessarily show through straightforward in the economic numbers that we that, that we look at because they're measuring a slightly different thing than we think they are. Mm-hmm. Moving back to uh, offsite production and, and MMC just uh, very, very lightly. What's your take on on that part of the industry from a productive perspective? Because it's a very different way of building things. Mm-hmm. Um, so is it, should we be looking at that in the future? Should it be a kind of a hybrid model and a mixture of on-site and off-site? What's your take on this? I think we've been moving stuff off-site consistently. I think the trouble is that what we don't want to be doing is going into sort of a, almost a religiosity about it. What we need to do is <laughs> to do it properly. And I think there's too much of the, this is the solution. First and foremost, I am pro the idea of doing more work off-site where it's appropriate. I'm absolutely for that, but I don't think it's the solution to everything. And mm. what bothers me and what bothered me right at the beginning of this new phase that we of MMC, et cetera, was that what would happen is everybody would rush to find some big solution, the silver bullet, the whatever it is that solves construction's problems and actually trip over and fall over. And then what we would do is we would put back prefabrication as a concept and I prefer to call it prefabrication a lot of people okay. don't call it that because it's seen as the historic problems before but we are now creating our new historic problems so if you look at if you look at Ronan Point Ronan Point effectively was pivotal I suppose in in, in one sense of collapsing the idea of prefabrication uh, which was the wave, the post-war wave, then you had timber-framed housing, and then there was the, the, the problems with the World in Action programme, the Granada programme that um, that showed that, that showed up failures in, in that technique, which basically, not killed, but really reduced a growing trend towards timber-framed housing in construction, which, I, frankly, I've always been quite pro. Um, ironically, it's always been a major, a major way in which we've done something 
stuff's north of the border in Scotland. I mean, about 90% of homes are built with timber frame there. They don't seem to have the same problems we do here. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a complex because some people don't like the idea of it, but they don't like the idea of it because it's associated with all these problems. So you, you, so what we get is we get this wave of prefabrication is the solution. Then we get rushed to delivery and then we get failure. And that just puts it back 25 years. It's, there's nothing mm. wrong. I, don't, I, don't, I suspect there's little wrong with the technologies. There's more problems with the delivery of that and the urgency with which people want to prove that it works. And I think you have to be careful about these things. To be quite honest, and you know, people I talk to who share a similar view have been skeptical about the pace at which people have been trying to do things. I'm a bit disappointed that the, 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 the challenges with LNG, now I don't know all the details, but what's interesting with, L, say, the LNG situation was, because they've got long money, because they can put a lot of money into it, they should be able to, look at the whole process and make sure that all of the process is mm. correct. But the news stories I'm reading now, they may or may not be co totally correct, but they suggest the same errors occurred there that occurred back in the day with the timber frame um, issue where people weren't storing technical pieces of, of, of the structure well enough offsite that led to mold, etc. And they didn't have the right onsite people. They had underinvested in the right onsite people to be able to deliver things. And the, this was exactly what happened back in the um, late 70s, early 80s with timber frame housing. So mm. what we're seeing is, and ironically, you know, the last part of um, a piece I wrote over a year ago basically said, you know, we will just be recreating the faults of the past if we're not careful. And it was, so in a sense, it was kind of predictable because, it's not the technology that's the problem. It's the management of that technology throughout and getting the right people doing the right things at, at, at each point and making and not being over ambitious, recognizing that, you know, that, that, it, that these things are going to last for a long time. So we have to be more more cautious about how we start doing it. And then we can start to look at the productivity gains within this new sphere of working, which mm. we can gradually absorb. And it sets us on a new path where we can make larger and we can make real productivity gains latterly but initially it's going to be more expensive because it's 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 a changing technology and that takes time to, to bed in what i find interesting in, in saying it was quite predictable <laughs> what i find interesting in, in in talking to people and doing this podcast is that <clears throat> two two things really uh, i try to look at the challenges that, that the construction or built environment is is facing and if you read back and you look back a lot of them have been going on since the the eighties or or since since I was I was born, um, and and they're either ebbing and flowing and going up and going down, skill shortages that that kind of thing. It feels like a very similar thing here, but the one fundamental thing that is is through it all seems to be we've got good technology, but the humans need to catch up with that technology and know and understand it better. And a good the, the uh, analogy I'm, I'm giving here is that. Um, there's a phrase in marketing that um, marketing destroys communication channels. They take the fun out of it and they destroy anything. They destroyed radio, they destroyed TV, they destroyed social media. Um, and I'm not saying humans are destroying anything in, in construction, but like you just said, it's a case of slowing down, understanding the tech and using it correctly rather than just stumbling over ourselves for, for, for the payday tomorrow. Yeah, I think, I, th I, th I think, 
rather than my view is is rather than it's, it's not just the individuals it's the institutional frameworks within which these okay. things work be they the organizations the business organizations and the kinds of pressures people have to understand those kinds of pressures that are on people to do certain things so mm -hmm. you know you, you you've got this massive factory that you you build at great expense and that's long money that's money that has to pay off over a large number of years and then you skimp on something that's absolutely central to the success of it which is maybe the on-site staff or, or or maybe storage facilities for things or making or or, or the or trying to push things too fa too fast mm. too quick too quickly um so that you end up with overproduction at the factory no place to store it expecting everything to go very sweetly and easily when you've got no track record doing it i mean these i i think these are the kinds of problems that bother me um, that people aren't looking ahead enough and thinking long term and there's too much pressure I suppose on individuals to deliver mm -hmm. quickly and I yeah. think that may well be it and I think that you know those people that ultimately are in charge need to step back a bit and accept that it's going to be a bit uh, a bit tougher to get things through than they might they, they, they need to learn the mistakes they will make mistakes and they have to be open to the idea that mistakes will happen so they need to see things as prototypes and then gradually from those from that experience build experience you can't just start doing something that's highly complex and expect that you will be able to deliver it brilliantly first time it's going to go wrong yeah sure. it's making sure that you're checking to see as few things go wrong as possible and keep looking very hard at what might go wrong and not creating a blame culture where somebody thinks i'll hide that because um i'm under pressure mm. um in, in doing some, some further research for this, uh, I looked at a CIOB a productivity report from 2016. Hmm. And one of the re recommendations that, that stood out to me uh, is, is quite simply, communicate better with policymakers. So do you feel regulation helps or, or hinders uh, productivity? Um, I've got to come clean. I did produce that report. But yeah, I thought you did. I, I didn't like to say. <laughs> uh, yeah, so obviously I agree with the findings of it. I think regulation is is often seen as getting in the way. Often, what regulation mm. can do, and good regulation, because can mean that it, it it acts as a funnel for people to do similar kinds of things that are all useful, rather than competing in, in strange and different kind of ways. It, it allows for it allows for. Um, and certainly from an industry point of view, everybody doing the right or, or as near to the right thing as possible. It cuts out people that are, that are trying to cut the system for short term gain uh, that, that with long term pain. Mm. It, it, that's the sort of things regulation do. I don't think business. I don't think businesses mind regulation as much as people think they do. Obviously, bad regulation is really annoying. And, you know, the regulators need to listen to all parties on that. But often it provides it provides a neat way of people saying, OK, there's a certainty around this. And what's more from most businesses, if it's the right kind of regulation, it keeps the cowboys out. And it's the cowboy kind of coming, cutting in at the side that is a massive distraction to a lot of firms and forces them not to do the thing that they would do otherwise. Yeah. Does that make it's, sense? I, I yeah, think. absolutely. And it brings me on to my, my, my final point, really, and 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 to summarize i think it's a neat way to, to to do that is looking at technology and, and humans and in a, in a lot of industries and and also construction we see technology as a, a solution to a lot of a lot of problems uh skills and and i'd put improving productivity in in that however we, we want to measure it we won't go back 
to there. Um, and then you mentioned the, the kind of cowboy side of it. But are we are we overlooking people skills as a critical factor to productivity um, and being looking too much towards technology? I, I think there's a danger that people get seduced by technology. Mm. And I suspect they also don't understand it as well as they think they do. <laughs> I mean, I think we just I think we just got to I think we just got to be cautious and we've got to be as football managers love to say, humble. Um, I think it's really important that we and, and that we don't expect too much and we keep trying and seeing how it works rather than expecting it to work brilliantly because mm. somebody sold us a new widget or whatever. And also recognise that technology changes the way we think or the way we behave in other ways than we might expect. I mean, I think, you know, I, I came from the media and you look at the way in which the media has shifted um, massively so I mean uh, for instance the in a sense the audience questions have changed the audiences used to say have you heard now they say what do you think so what do newspapers do they stop telling you straight news and they start giving you what you think it just fundamentally alters the business and these things happen these things happen with technology that we're not they're not immediately obvious and they just kind of happen and it's only when we look back that we start to realize how technology not just changes what we think it's there to change, but lots of other things around it, the whole kind of eco structure, if you like, mm. of society can change with different technologies. I mean, the motor car, I mean, the, one of the things that always amused me when I was studying engineering was, you know, years and years and years back and, and following trends was the notion of generated traffic. So back in the, 70s and 80s everybody says let's put the m25 or the an orbital road around um london and that'll cure all our ills as far as um car travel is concerned and then what happens everybody complains that it's jam-packed with cars <laughs> so i mean i think we've got to be i think we've got to uh, got to be humble we've got to recognize mm. that things will happen that we don't expect and we should be prepared for those and we shouldn't dig our heels in and say, well, that shouldn't happen. We just have to accept that it does and find ways to mitigate and also hopefully look at ways that we can anticipate future problems. That Anticipating future problems is probably about the best thing you can do to improve productivity. Yeah. Uh, and to, to, to coin a phrase that you used halfway through this chat, um, there is no magic bullet. There is no singular thing that will help or, or hinder that it, it's it's a collective of various various things that will will change our our productivity in the future um yeah so brian thank you so much for for joining me uh, <laughs> today I, <laughs> I, I really I, appreciate I, I, it. Some of, I hope some of it made sense because um a lot of these things <laughs> often don't make sense to me no, no, it's it's Brian. It's it's always an uh, it's always an absolute pleasure uh, to speak to you, and it's great to know that they don't make sense to to you either. Um, and and it's your words of wisdom that a lot of the a lot of the industry hang on. So, so I'm not quite sure what that says about us all. Well, be humble, I think. <laughs> Absolutely, Brian. Thank just, you so much. I just like football. But anyway, yeah, exactly. Um... Yeah, football reference in there. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. You take care. Cheers, then. Bye. Okay, bye. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day and giving this a listen. If you want to chat further about anything you've heard on today's episode, have a topic or technology you'd like me to cover, or simply want to say, hiya, you'll find me on LinkedIn or through the emails, peter at builddifferent.marketing. Stay disruptive.